Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And we're back today to talk about a man named Bob Larson. I don't know if you've heard of him, but... I, I have. He has a ministry, but really, it's, it's about him. I mean, without Bob Larson, it wouldn't be uh, much of a ministry. Yeah, Bob Larson Ministries is the name of the ministry. Yeah, what actually, happens when we have no Bob? Yeah, how many ministries do we know of that are actually named after the founder? There's Tony Alamo. Yeah, I want to say there's quite a few, but uh, can I name them off the top of my head? Realism. Benny Hinn. Oh, okay. you're thinking like maybe groups that we've investigated that have the, the person's name in the title? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. 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 The James Randi Educational Foundation. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Known cult. <laughs> We're kidding. That's always something interesting to look out for, the the presence or lack thereof of a succession plan. Granted, he's had his daughters involved as teenage exorcists, so maybe they could step up and uh, continue the, the fight. Yeah, maybe. But they are girls. It, yes. <laughs> oh, you don't know about this whole thing, this whole... um. Systemic sexism thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> at least he's had them perform exorcisms. Yeah. I just, for sure. somehow I have the sense that they're not as passionate about it as he is, though Bryn, his daughter, did publish a book. Yeah. Which I think I bought. I need to find that. Oh, yeah. We'll have to compare her writing style to his. So, okay. Uh, maybe she's the heir apparent. Maybe. Maybe she's the Ivanka. Well, I would love to tell you about a book I recently read called Satanism, The Seduction of America's Youth. Yes. Okay. So Carrie's got this book. It is black and threatening on the cover. It says Bob Larson at the top, and then it says Satanism in red letters that are spiky. Instead of serifs, they have <laughs> spikes that can hurt you if you like touch it. Ooh, the T's got a fun little curly tail coming down from it. Oh, yeah, like the devil's pitchfork. Now, I assume that's just Bob Larson saying, I am the author, and then the title is Satanism, rather than this being about Bob Larson's Satanism. No, this is his special brand of Satanism. Okay, well, I'm, yeah. I'm down for that. The Seduction of America's Youth. Okay. And then what have we now, got on the back? On the back, we have a pentagram, <gasps> oh. the anarchism symbol, oh. and a swastika. Ooh, these are bad. These are these are bad. According to Bob, I guess equally bad? None, none of these are standing out more than the other as far as design goes. What's that top line in front of the uh, the symbols? It says, do you recognize these symbols? Yes. See page 109 for more information. Oh, okay. That always amazes me. I just think of books in progress as these very fluid things that it specifically mentions page 109. But of course, they know that after they're done writing the book. I always think about that too. Yeah, especially in a book when it says, go back to page this. And I think, how do you know that? Okay, they must, they write it and then they highlight it. And then at the end, they have to go through and make sure, okay, where does, oh shoot, I added this note and it changed the page layout. The point is, Ross and I are secret idiots. <laughs> yeah, we realize these are easy problems to solve, but they fascinate us, apparently. Uh, okay, how many pages, Carrie? That's always important with Bob Larson's How many books. pages? How many? There are 223. You know, I think if I had to say, like, what is the average length of a book? It would be somewhere in that ballpark. It would be 223. Yeah. Yeah. 
That seems about right. Um, yeah, so this was published in 1989, the same year my fiance Drew was published. 1989. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, it was printed in the United States of America. All right. That's nice. So I was working backward with my book. The first book I talked about was Jezebel, which was written in, I want to say, 2015. And then I read Demon Proofing Prayers, which was 2011. And you started farther back in the Bob canon, and now you're moving toward the future. That's right. Time traveling here. This was published by Thomas Nelson, Inc. Okay. Yeah. Who's this Thomas Nelson Uh, guy? And what happens when he dies? Who keeps publishing those books? Ah, this is suspicious. We're still very dumb. So what's Bob's take? Is is he for Satanism or against it? Uh, Do you want to guess? Cast lots? Uh, I'm going to say against. Just a hunch. You're right. Oh, you're right. So if you were a person browsing the nonfiction center at your local Christian bookstore in the late 80s, and you picked this up and you looked at the back, you'd see, what's a parent to do with the devil? Have you ever explained the supernatural to your child and discussed the influence of Satanism in our society? Do you dabble in parapsychology or New Age philosophy, which could indicate your acceptance of the occult? Do you have forthright communication in your family that allows for an easy exchange of ideas across the generation gap? If someone asked your child, does anyone love you? What would the answer be? These are questions that all parents should ask themselves. Though many teenagers take Satan seriously, their parents often scoff at the idea of a devil. They consider him an imp with a forked tail or a myth of mystics and cartoonists. But in Satanism, Bob Larson examines the pervasive influence of satanic activity on youth. More than a simple overview of the dangers, this book provides practical ways to recognize and combat Satanism. Ghoulish games, horror films, black metal music, drugs! Larson gives a clear understanding of the evil surrounding us. As a young former Satanist says, quote, The only power Satan has is the power we give him. Parents... This book may be the antidote to evil for someone you love. Wow. I wonder how many people read that and then decided, yeah, I got to buy this. Somebody did. And it's not zero. <laughs> yeah, someone bought this and then sold it to me. So, and it wasn't Thomas Nelson Publishers. So it worked. Okay. Okay. So, boy, I learned a lot about Satanism from this book, stuff I definitely did not know. And is it stuff you still don't know? Or uh, it, there's still- actually. Some good info in there. I'm still not confident any of it is true. Okay. But first of all, I learned that Satanists do some very strange things. Hmm. So part of the the sort of backstory of this book existing is that Bob used to be a radio call-in talk show host. And people would call his show in Colorado and talk to him about their various misfortunes and what his advice would be as a minister. And pretty quickly, I think it became known that, like, this guy is either very gullible or just willing to play along with any call because it continues to get donations and so on. So people would call in and do what could only be described as prank calls 
and Bob would field them as if they were true. And so a lot of them are people calling in saying that they're Satanists and then giving him just absurd tales of how their Satanism plays out in real life. And then he's incorporating all of this knowledge, this original research into this book. Into his theology. Yep. So then he sort of puts himself forth as this uh, secondhand expert who has talked firsthand with all these former and current Satanists. You know, he's sort of an, an anthropologist almost who's collected all this data. And so he comes to us to tell us what to look for as parents and community members. And some strange stuff that Satanists do, according to Bob and his callers, include digging up graves... Oh. Playing Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, that I believe. Okay, fair. Uh, listening to heavy metal music. Sure. Wearing all black. Okay. Huge red flag. Drinking rabbit blood. Huh. Specific. And forming groups with names like Leda, the lascivious and extreme domination of animals. L-E-D-A. Clearly a joke on PETA that someone said to Bob and he just wrote down. Or Lita and the swan. There was um, a story where Zeus took the form of a swan and impregnated a woman. Mm. What was the acronym for again? The lascivious and extreme domination of animals. Lita and the swan. That's just what it makes me think of from Greek mythology. God in the form of a swan seduces or rapes Lita. Yikes. And then, according to later Greek mythology, Leda bore Helen and Polydeuces, children of Zeus. Wow. So there you go. Maybe it's playing double duty. Cool. Okay. There are some other things Satanists do that are worth reading to you. For example, one of the callers, a man named David, who's a Satanist, said this to Bob. I burn Bibles, David said. When I don't burn them, I tear out the pages, chew and swallow them, and then puke them back up. So I feel like we've already got two columns here. There's the column of things that counterculture people do in general, you know, the black clothes and the rock music and the, the death metal and all that. Sure. But mm -hmm. uh, then we have things like exhuming corpses and drinking rabbit's blood. And I'm sorry, what does this guy do? He Oh, he either burns Bibles or he rips out the pages, chews them up, swallows them, and then pukes them. That goes in the other column of things that are just like really inconvenient and out of your way. And what's the purpose? And I don't believe it. That Let's just say that. Yeah. I need more evidence. The theme I keep seeing in these stories is like the person not even really having a plan of what they're going to say and then Bob just like pulling details out of them until they've said this very mm. insane thing. Leading the witness uh, until he gets something sufficiently crazy. So yeah, so those are going to be column A for all right and column B for <laughs> Bob. Come on. <laughs> Okay, so here's another. This is uh, Caller Chad, another Satanist, of course. Chad, typical Satanist name. And you know how old he was? 20, 12. Uh, yeah. Oh, young Satanist. Okay. Yeah. I'm Chad. So, <laughs> good job, Chad. So he calls in and um, says that he wants to talk to Bob about the game Bloody Mary. And Bob's like, sure, uh, well, why don't you explain for the listeners what Bloody Mary is? And Chad says, well, you go into a dark bathroom, stare into the mirror and chant Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. You wait until the invisible claws scratch your face and you bleed. That's how you know Bloody Mary is there. Now my friend Jamie and me are into more exotic stuff. 
we go through the mirror. Oh, like Alice. And then this is Bob speaking. That was a new one. Have you ever heard of astral projection or out-of-the-body experiences, I asked? Yeah, it's like that, Chad responded. <laughs> I look into the mirror and I do the Bloody Mary chant and then my mind goes into the mirror and travels to my friend Jamie's house. I got the idea from the movie Poltergeist. Cool. You're saying the quiet part loud, Chad. Yeah. Right. Poltergeist. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I haven't seen Poltergeist in a while. Is there travel through a mirror? You know, I've never seen it. None right. of you got the idea there. Sure. I assume it's there. Yeah, t- talk about media references and how they influence so much of the phenomena that we investigate. Like aliens is a, a huge example where usually you can kind of date things like the first abduction experience, Betty and Barney Hill. You can point to episodes of television that they were watching, um, The Outer Limits, the and Outer another Limits. show has been postulated as uh, having influenced them. And, you know, that's where people get these available mental images. They were big and had pallid skin and big eyes and small noses. You know, media in general tends to influence how we how we under pressure when we're pressed for these details, where they come from and what they look like. Totally, because then that's the picture you've got. Right, just like in your memory, just like Satan with the red skin and the tail and the uh, the goat hooves. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing that Satanists do. That- what else do the Satanists? Police files contain documented confessions of satanic involvement in animal mutilations. An Oklahoma woman who spent five years in a devil-worshipping cult said she made numerous forays to remote areas where cattle were killed and their blood removed by an embalming machine. Her wealthy cult used a helicopter and several trucks to avoid detection. The helicopter. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a lot of work. Pretty wealthy. The helicopter would transport the cow (laughs) to a remote location or a truck with a telescoping lift would hold a cult member in the air while he performed mutilations. What? Veterinarians instructed cult members how to acquire the needed blood and body parts. Large animals were selected because of the huge quantities of blood required for satanic baptismal immersion. I'm just trying to picture the discussion with the veterinarian. Well, I'm not going to ask what you want to do with this. I'm just going to just going to give you the information you need. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you need you need a cow's heart? Okay, how would I do that? Okay, I guess I'd get a helicopter, <laughs> hypothetically. Oh my goodness. Uh oh, wow. Boy. Okay, last uh, goofy example of things Satanists do. Now, um, you're, you're pretty deep into the book here. Is this all like, does he spend most of the book kind of just telling these stories about the horrible things that Satanists do? Uh, no, I just pulled this together as a theme. Mm, um, mm-hmm. These tend to be toward the beginning of whatever chapter as an example to, of what okay, he's going to do. Okay, lay down into. the sort of phenomenon we're talking about. Okay. But thank you for noticing because it makes me feel very organized. <laughs> So here's another caller. This one is named Kay. I'm a Satanist. I hurt people. I destroy them. (laughs) Kay wasn't the first 17-year-old to call my show and say something like that. But the conversation took a strange twist almost immediately. Did you get the letter I wrote you? She asked. The one with blood on it? The letter had arrived the day before. I asked a staff member to fetch it from my office. In the meantime, I stalled. Who told you to call? 
I inquired, totally unprepared for Kay's incredible answer. The spirits I conjure. One's name is hate. The other is lies. Anyway, I listen to you a lot. You're funny. The best comedy hour of the day. <laughs> My secretary put Kay's letter in front of me. Your letter has an upside down cross on the envelope. And inside... <laughs> and inside it says, Satan rules. <gasps> You've drawn knives on it. They look like they're dripping in blood. Wait a minute. This looks like real blood, is it? Yeah. Kay <laughs> confidently exclaimed, My blood. I cut myself in a ceremony just for you. <laughs> I like your delivery. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's exactly how it was. <laughs> and uh, wow, 17-year-old Satan rules. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Satan rules. And yeah, I love just like how these people are all sort of improving their way mm -hmm. through their conversations, like not giving the information in the order anyone naturally would. It's the just like, oh, you're pushing me for more? Okay. Uh, also, I kill people. I don't right. know. <laughs> right, though. She had the forethought and foresight to send a letter yeah. to precede her. Boy, that's, today's that's some, kids would never. That's some get up and go. But somehow I suspect she's like a church going girl and she's tittering with her friends after hanging up. Oh, interesting. Yeah, perhaps. Okay, now Bob also tells us about some very serious crimes that he has heard about Satanists doing solely because they call his show or he's met them. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is a really bad source of evidence. Right. Yeah, and it's like you hear these things and you think, well, did you call the cops? Did you do anything? Because, like, what you're telling me is actually extremely criminal and dangerous. Here's one example. This is Sandra's story of Satanism and drug abuse. Sandra's story of Satanism. <laughs> I know. I just saw that as I was reading it, too. By the seashore. 17-year-old <laughs> Sandra's situation of parental drug abuse was even more frightening. She and her mother had contacted us for help to escape oppression inflicted by a frightening satanic cult. What she shared was appalling and almost, almost unbelievable. After a bitter divorce and custody battle when Sandra was nine years of age, her father took her to another state in an attempt to remain her sole guardian. One night, Sandra's father awakened her and took her naked downstairs to a room filled with dirt. He told Sandra, your mother is dead and buried here. Dig and find her. Sandra frantically tried to unearth her mother. When she was unsuccessful, he declared, well, I guess she doesn't want you to find her. Then I'm going to skip over a little bit of painful detail, but in short, he sexually abuses her. Oh, no. Um, yes. And then takes her to a- I was still uh, trying to figure out why she's sleeping naked, but uh, <laughs> yeah, this took a bad turn. Yeah. So then he blindfolds her, puts her in all white, and takes her to his cult ceremony meeting that she's never been to before. Hmm. There's a pentagram on the floor of the room in front of her painted red and black, and she says, people were standing wearing robes with hoods. I thought it was some kind of costume party. And then Bob says, and when did you realize something strange was happening? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, sometime after that, Bob. Um, <laughs> oh, it's coming. <laughs> so then she says, they told me to lie on the floor and brought out a lamb, a couple of cats and some rabbits. A man cut open the animals, let the blood drain down on my white dress this man had a veil over his face, but when he bent over to drip the blood on me, I recognized him as the pastor of a Christian church my father had taken me to. Oh. 
Yeah. And she describes herself as a Satanist still, or she's just telling this horrible story? Oh, oh, great question. Does she consider herself a Satanist still? Because that would kind of turn me off of it. <laughs> Agree. Um, I, You know, I don't think it's clear. Okay. In the way this is written. But it suits so- Bob's purposes either way. Right. So there's back and forth, back and forth. He's sort of like pushing her to give more detail, which again, like some of it is uh, involves sex abuse. And I'm going to skip over that. Uh, But there's another part (laughs) where like Bob's just not satisfied, you know, like she's detailing these horrible, horrible crimes that would be you know, put someone in prison for years. Uh, yeah. Well, where, where do you think Bob's lack of satisfaction comes from? Does he want more salaciousness or does he want concrete details to sell the story? It seems like salaciousness. It seems like he's just will keep going until you stop. Like, hey, I've got a really interesting story on the line. Let's keep this going for the listeners. Yeah. Okay. Until, until it dries up. Huh. So after she's talking about, you know, this horrific abuse, she says... Nothing much really happened then until I was 13. Then there was a human sacrifice. See, like, you open with that, sir. Right. If if someone genuinely has gone through these horrible, horrible things, you would say, like, and I watched someone be killed, and please help me. Yeah. (laughs) You know? But he makes no mention of ever calling the police for her or... Trying to uncover who these this abusive underground criminal cult is. Right. Yeah. Th- these are things you'd want to act upon, especially if she could identify the church and this pastor. Right. Oh, man. It's so hard to know what to do with stories like that because, you know, usually we'll look at something like that and just kind of laugh it off because it's so absurd on its face. Uh, kind of like the McMartin preschool case and how you had students talking about being taken up in airplanes with clowns, you know, like on teacher salary. Somehow they were supposed to do all of these ridiculous, horrible things with the kids. Uh, but then then when they introduce some element like the sexual abuse, then uh, it adds a whole new element. You know, how do I react to this story? I feel very conflicted hearing stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I think if you're Bob, you're not one step removed if you're Bob, right? You're mm-hmm. talking to the person and like now if you genuinely want to help them, you assume that it's true and you help them document how it's true so right. you can bring this to the authorities, right? Like, right. You don't just repeat it, put it out in the ether and just do nothing to actually help the people involved. Well, that's interesting. Thanks for spicing up my radio show. Right, exactly. Hmm. Anyway, this is all still not enough for Bob. This story ends with him asking, well, did you ever have to witness a human sacrifice again? After she tells him about the first one. And she says, yes, 12 times in all. Okay, again, you're not leading with that. So you led with the story of having to dig up your mom and finding out she's actually alive, but actually you've watched 13 murders. Right, it's just not how anyone talks. Right, right. It's it's tough stuff, right? Huh. So he also claims, you know, lots and lots of sex abuse in this book. Also keeping women as sex slaves in order to conceive babies they can sacrifice. He talks to people who witnessed their teenage friends being burned at the stake. Hmm. He talks to one young man who says that he has found out that his parents, who are Satanists, are going to sacrifice him, the caller... On his 16th birthday, which is soon, 
And the only indication of getting this boy help is that Bob says he got him counseling. Ah. If accurate, Bob, you don't believe this is true. Right. Yeah, exactly. You immediately help that young person get out of their family's house. But who puts in all the time and effort of raising a child to kill them when they're 16? I mean, come on. Right. right. I've, well, yeah. oh, yeah. If you know that that's the case from the start, you mean? Right. Yeah. If, if your kids, goal is to sacrifice your child, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a lot that's of- That's a lot. That, that's I, a lot of work. I don't know. This, none of that computes. Then again, of course, there, there are horrific- murders and none of that computes as well. So obviously there are cases of horrible murders where people say they are inspired by satanic beliefs or there are satanic elements in in how they conduct those murders. I'm not saying that never happens. I'm just saying that uh, I'm highly suspicious of all of these stories. Yeah, yeah. If they were accurate, it would be really, really important to follow up on all this. And and yeah. from my understanding, listening to experts talk about this kind of thing, y- you're right. There are people who have killed and said that they heard heard Satan or they heard demons, etc. Almost never, with maybe one to two exceptions, is it what you'd really call a cult. Mm-hmm. It's usually a person with like, basically like in a hallucinatory state who heard a voice and that's who they thought the voice was right but acting as a group where everyone's saying okay let's get out the victim and now we're gonna kill them yeah that's extraordinarily rare and i think in the times where something like that has happened it's documented and we know a lot about it yeah i'm not even sure yeah i'm (laughs) i'm not sure i could even come up with a name for you of that but i i just remember in the book satanic panic they were telling this story about some guys who were doing drugs and hanging out and and they ended up killing one of the guys Mm. Uh, but that's the quality of my recollection of that story now (laughs) ricky queso that was the murderer yeah yeah this all brings up like important points that are definitely in the cultural conversation now about like how to handle reports of abuse and believing people or erring toward believing people when they say something terrible has happened to them. In this case, of course, we're like several steps removed from (laughs) if there even was a person really genuinely making this claim. But we have like a very clear motivation to come up with these stories because I think that for the church, especially when all of these stories were really in vogue, it helped paint this invisible enemy that was lurking behind the surface of our society that everybody needed to worry about. And, you know, their only recourse was to hew closer to God. Yeah. So that's that's how I see all of these stories. It's just Bob latching on convenient fiction that brings people into the church. Yeah, I think like the the beautiful thing about the truth is no matter what, the solution's the same. You treat it as true. You go, okay, let me help you document that. Let me help you get, get you to safety. <laughs> right. And, and that process know. either reveals it to be true or false. Yeah, hopefully. Because we obviously don't want to create a situation in which like all an abuser has to do is do something so absurd that their victims won't believe the telling. Right. Um, right. You know, I think of like Nexium. That story is just like so wild. Right. That, <laughs> yeah. That so you- and then they branded you. Okay. 
Right. But, you know, the people were able to go back through and document it and say, like, okay, we believe you enough to follow this story and get more than your word. Anyway, why are almost none of these people caught? Well, Bob explains that too. Mm. So he says that they report to him anonymously and he has to protect their identities. Okay. Doesn't really explain why, though. I mean, I have guesses about why, but he doesn't go into that. He says victims tend to block out the memories or develop multiple personalities to cope. Hmm. Extremely controversial claim. Yeah. He says, Satanic cults deliberately fabricate preposterous forms of child victimization, knowing that the more unthinkable their atrocity, the less likely the victim is to, be- to be believed. So that's that scenario oh, what we, were we were just, just saying. Yeah, talking okay. about. Uh, then he just drops on page 128 that also Satanists control the government. What? Mm-hmm. He says, uh, some investigators of Satanic crimes suggest highly placed Satanists have infiltrated the justice system. Okay. And whistleblowers have been silenced. He says, uh, law enforcement officials privately admit being ordered by superiors to cease investigations of satanic crimes. I'm curious <laughs> why yeah. they were told to stop. It, that could be a, what's the word, time budgeting issue? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Like maybe a police force being told not to pay for psychics to give them right. advice. You know, that I could see someone up high saying that because it's fruitless. But then that officer is told not to use the psychic can then turn around and say, ah, someone told me to stop. It's coming from above. Right. But yeah, this sounds like a combination of the X-Files and kind of an early incarnation of the QAnon conspiracy and the whole yeah. deep state hypothesis. This whole idea that, you know, there's these shadow members of the highest ranks of the government who are perpetrating these atrocities. And do I have any evidence of it? Of course not, because they're so well hidden. Right. Which, again, maybe. Yeah. What do, yeah. What do you do with gonna that? There's going to be some paper trail there. You know, I mean, I think of Edward Snowden, like someone at just like about the highest level of information secrecy you can get. Mm-hmm. was able to whistleblow the entire system and is alive. Mm-hmm. Like, if that can be done, <laughs> we can figure out who these, like, these Satanists working in the New Mexico Police Department are. Yeah, yeah, somewhere, somehow, somebody drops actionable information right. at some point. Especially people working in information, like a detective's not going to leave without bringing documents with them, you know. But I, I think this is enough to kind of qualify Bob as a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, yeah, fair. Interesting. Another reason that these things don't come to light is bureaucratic red tape. Um, mm. He says, other investigators complain of political restrictions and unnecessary constraints, which I think is a fancy way of saying, like, too much work to get it out there. And they're really hard to prosecute. He says, there's no pattern to these crimes for detectives to follow since victims are snatched at whim. Often all evidence is destroyed when victims are either burned or their bodies cut into pieces and buried. Hmm. I mean, no more than any other crime. Objection. Speculation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. So he does mention some supposedly satanic murderers who have been caught, though not by him, not by the church at all. But there's uh, Sean Sellers. Do you remember that guy? No, it doesn't ring a bell. He uh, he kills his parents in the middle of the night. And then he said that he couldn't remember doing it. He, he believed he did it, but he said he was like in a fugue state, couldn't recall it. Oh, wow. 
and then later said that Satan had put him into a trance. So Bob sort of jumped on this and was really promoting Sean Sellers from Death Row as this, you know, this verified account of satanic activity. Hmm. And and Sean said he had turned his life over to Christ. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So Bob became deeply involved there. Um, Bob was advocating for leniency. Oh, good question. I don't think so. Maybe. If so, that hasn't come up in the accounts I've read. Wow. But mostly just Bob is saying, you know, if he can turn to Christ, anybody can. And mm. sort of a Mike Warnke style redemption story. Yeah, wow. Perhaps, perhaps Sean thought, you know, by having this redemption narrative, maybe they will help me get out. Okay. But that's uh, objection. Yeah. Uh, me speculating. <laughs> um, then, of course, there's the Night Stalker. Rookie Queso. So there are there are people again who who have said that Satan was involved in their crimes, but they're pretty much always lone actors, or as you mentioned, maybe a couple people who got high together or something, but not this premeditated thing orchestrated by hundreds of people in black robes. Oh wow! And uh, I, I'm going to read more about him now, but I guess he was executed in 1999. Yeah. Wow. Uh, going back to Sean Sellers. Sorry. Right, right. So, yeah, a couple interesting things, though, from from that, those claims that Bob makes. Uh, you know, he says there's no pattern to the crimes, but later and before and throughout this book. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't believe that for a second. He's, I'm sure, got a whole collection of patterns. Yeah, I mean, one of the cases that he makes repeatedly is, I know these are true because... The stories match up. Right. Uh, this, <laughs> well, that, this. That's called a pattern. <laughs> I would call it that. Yeah. yeah. You know, Sally called and said that she had to drink rabbit's blood and on my widely listened to talk show. And then somehow three days later, <laughs> Jeff called and said he had to drink rabbit's blood. You can't explain that. Right. And we've all seen, you know, the X-Files and various procedural crime dramas. And they say, oh, look at these markings in the skin. This is Satanism at work. Yeah. Yeah. Th right. Those are the patterns. Right. A few people are getting creative, like the cow lady. But Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Cows on helicopters. I did not see coming. <laughs> yeah. Now, that has no pattern. I'll give him that. <laughs> agree. Agree. That's, that sounds more akin to like cattle mutilation or something. That's a whole yeah, different phenomenon. Oh, absolutely. Though he does mention that, you know, cattle mutilation is usually- Aliens. <laughs> is usually explained away by science idiots like you and me um, <laughs> as hungry predators taking down animals that were asleep in their fields. That's too prosaic. Um, I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, he explains why that can't possibly be true. I don't oh. His explanation is. I think it was something about the there being no blood. Yeah. Usually it's like the cuts are too precise and the blood is perfectly removed. Only aliens yeah. could have done it. <laughs> That's so much easier for me to believe. Yeah. Ancient people couldn't have been talented and smart and build things. <laughs> Especially aliens they, could. Especially if they came from other countries, aliens help them. <laughs> oh yeah, I never even thought about the xenophobia inherent in that. <laughs> God. So as I'm reading this and seeing these internal contradictions, I'm thinking about how he said, you know, that almost none of these people have been caught for these various reasons. But then he also goes on to say that 95 percent. Of all abducted children are victims of cult-related abduction. What? 
5%. You can't find one that you can attach a name to, but you're pretty sure it's 95% of the total. That's absurd. Yeah, that's, yeah. that is such a made up statement. Well, you'll be glad to know okay. he did not make it up. He did give a source. Oh, the source. Second hand, that makes it better. <laughs> the source is. A 1988 issue of Catholic Youth Magazine, Mm -hmm. which is quoting a Beaumont, California police officer who does not give a source. I tried to find him, but he died a couple of years ago, so I can't ask him where he got his Well, good effort. Uh, Yeah. I I would love, though, to have to call someone and be like, in 1989, (laughs) you may have said that 95%. Yeah. Do you recall saying that? Does that sound right to you? Saying this, it sounds crazy. I know. Where would you get a statistic like that? (laughs) Yeah, that's one of those things where you know, just by the nature of it, there's no way you could ever know that. Right. Right. And as far as I know, most abductions are, I guess, by parents trying to flout custody laws. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe that's right. That um happened to someone. I know very casually, but um, mm. I casually know her. The crime was obviously not casual. Yeah, I think she did eventually. She was able to get her son back, but incredibly oh, wow. harrowing experience, as you might expect. Oh, boy. This is a heavy book. I know. And it's paperback. <laughs> so he also says that there are 60,000 hardcore Satanists who live in the U.S. as he's writing this in 1989. 60,000. Wow. Again, like... can't find one, but there are 60,000. Right, right. Can't name a single one. Some have called into my show. But uh, yeah, really pulled out of one's butt. Uh, <laughs> that That's still double the number of Scientologists, most likely. Oh, there you go. Well... I think you and I could really uncover this whole thing because apparently a third of all Satanists in the U.S. live in California. A third? A well, third. I mean, that makes sense. I recently added up the lower population states and I had to add the bottom 22 up to get to the population of California. Oh, wow. Someone was making a point about the Electoral College. Yeah, that was me. Okay. (laughs) California is, it's just huge. It's in a category unto itself. Absolutely. I I just happened to be curious. Turns out the state that produced the most votes for Trump was California. Oh, makes sense. Yep. Runners up, of course, were uh, Texas and Florida. Maybe not in that order, but just because of our insanely large population. We're really, really big. Yeah. So Bob also promotes some stories in this book that have been thoroughly debunked before or since. So one is a book called Satan's Underground by Lauren Stratford. You may recall, I've read this one. I read it on a plane next to you and showed you some of the more absurd things. Yes. Okay, yeah. So this is a book by a woman who claims to have been a baby breeder in a satanic cult. I laugh Um, because we have some good inside jokes about that book. (laughs) Yeah, uh, not about that part of it, but yes. She claimed that, you know, she was kept as as basically a sex slave producing these kids, and then the kids would be sacrificed in front of her. And, you know, I mean, just the most horrific abuse you can imagine, if accurate. Good on Cornerstone Magazine, this Christian magazine that keeps cropping up in these stories right they're they're doing the lord's work really they they sent a couple investigative reporters to look at this and um she was just uncovered as a total fraud first of all her name was not lauren stratford that was a name she had made up and Mm. then she went on 
to pretend to be a Holocaust survivor. Oh my goodness. She she again changing her name again and, and raised I know, and then raised money for herself under the guise of being a Holocaust survivor. Uh. Saying, yeah, saying like help me get the you know, the help I need. Oh my goodness. Um, People like this just really make the world a tricky place to navigate. Truly, yeah, because yeah, it, it throws under the bus everybody who has been through horrible right. things and makes us all have to go through life slightly more skeptical. That right. sucks. I know. Yeah, it hardens all of our hearts. And mm-hmm. like I'm reading a book about Andrew Wakefield right now, and there's just there's like certain people who are willing to take advantage of others' kindness and trust and take all of these things that society is kind of held together by all of these assumptions about people's honesty and straightforwardness and desire to do good and help others and uh, turns them on their on their heads. Yeah. Oh, that's so frustrating. Yeah. Okay, continue. But Cornerstone Magazine comes through again, does another expose on her wow. where they uncover like, oh no, this is that same lady. Wow. Good for yeah. them. Yeah. I know. They were also the ones who exposed Mike Warnke. We've Mike mentioned Warnke. them. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Oh. Are they still around? Maybe I need to subscribe. They are. I looked this up, actually. Actually, I'm glad you're looking because I thought about getting you a subscription for Christmas. As I recall, you have to actually like write into them like with paper. Oh. And I was like, wow, they, they, I've done a lot of crazy things for this show, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not sending in some paper like a freak. I'm, uh, yeah, I am more and more intrigued by them. Okay. Yeah, me too. Okay, so, so Bob also promotes this book called The Serpent and the Rainbow. Have you heard of this one? I'm going to say no. Like, I'm I'm wondering why that sounds familiar, but I, I don't know anything about it. Okay, I had not heard of it, but it's fascinating. It is a book. I'm, I'm curious, just judging by the name alone, I feel like it's tying together somehow, maybe theologically, the story of Eden and the, the flood in that story, since you have a, a rainbow. That might be true. It's not evident in the logline of the book, okay. but- that could very well be true. This is by Wade Davis, who I haven't checked these credentials, but apparently was a Harvard professor. And it promoted this theory that zombies are real and okay. that they are intentionally created by feeding a chemical cocktail containing dead human tissue to your victim. And his, <laughs> so he publishes this book about how he figured this out. And very quickly, his uh, anthropological peers uh, were like, Oh no 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 no! <laughs> oh Wade, no 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 no! This was this was not well conducted. Uh, oh goodness, this is not true. But Bob <laughs> thinks it's true. Oh, there's so many things wrong with that. Okay, <laughs> wow. And Bob mentions this in some light. Yeah, yeah. He's just talking about. Oh yeah. So the reason he brings it up is because he's talking about how zombieism is real and it is uh, an occult strategy. It's in one of his many chapters that are basically like, you should be afraid of every religious movement except for Christianity. So this one's like focused on Haitian voodoo or something like that? Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Show me one zombie and then we will have solved this uh, this dilemma. I'd love to meet a zombie. Zombies, if you're listening, get in touch. I won't offer to eat dead flesh, though. We'll We're stop short of that. Just because it's gross and disrespectful. Sure. Well, I mean, unless that person told you to. Okay, but then I would rely on gross. Yeah. 
and prions. Not, scary. Not fun. Not fun. I don't but, know. I don't know how common they are, but they break the blood brain barrier, and that's not cool. That's bad. Yeah, you want to, you know, avoid anything that's on the brainstem. Ingrid Newkirk, the president and co-founder of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, mm-hmm. has a very famous living will wherein she says that she wants her skin removed and made into a leather bag and her remaining flesh to be barbecued and eaten. Oh, okay. Yeah. The whole anthropodermic bibliopagy thing used to be fairly common. There's like a lot of books bound out of human skin. So oh, right. there's yeah, precedent yeah. for that. Interesting. Is that usually by people who want that done? No, that's not? usually like criminals. It was kind of part of the punishment. Uh, oh, my God. That makes me a little but, woozy. Like the other day, I saw that there was an expert in identifying such books. Her specialty oh, wow. was being able to confirm, yes, this is human skin that was used to bound this book. Wow. Crazy. So are, are you going to get in on <laughs> the Ingrid feast? Going to eat some Ingrid? Uh, probably not. All right. Probably not. Yeah, I think I'd be too worried about the, uh... The prion. I don't know how... I don't know how common that is, uh... Probably not very. Because, like, yeah, it was an issue in Papua New Guinea, you know, where people were regularly eating the dead, but... Mm -hmm. I doubt there's been much transmission in the U.S. Anyways, I, but it has, things I don't know. Yeah, I mean, mad cow disease is, is that. Right, yeah. So, I don't know. I'm okay. I'm full. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> then, so, yeah, after going through this whole book, uh, I was asking myself, okay, I don't know if Bob does believe his callers. That's I can never know his heart. But should he believe his callers? You know, he says a Boise police investigator named Larry Jones said Satan abuse victims all have similar stories and that therapists are corroborating their stories again goes against his earlier claim that there are no patterns but mm-hmm. <laughs> right. but taking on its face like uh, okay is that is that enough yeah um, I, I wonder what he thought he meant when he was saying that there are no patterns yeah i think he thought this works for the sentence i'm working with right now But, you know, the way they tell their stories is pretty absurd. He pushes them for more and more detail as he goes. They get more and more gruesome. They feel weirdly out of order. And this is all on the air. Anyone can hear it. Right. (laughs) Why would you be impressed that anyone had similar details if you aired even one? Right. Right. Because of that media bias we were talking about. That that begets more. That that's how you get copycats. That's how these that's how these things take off. It becomes culturally available in whatever medium it's shared, and then other people repeat that. So when you have one UFO sighting that gets publicized, all of a sudden you get a flare-up of UFO sightings in the same region. Yeah, and what you just said would be applicable even if it had been aired in Yugoslavia and mm-hmm. now someone calls this was Bob's show both times. These are people who listen to your show where you talked about right. it. Right. And they're in the back of their minds thinking, oh, if I ever called Bob, what would I tell him? Yeah. <laughs> Taking now notes, rabbit blood. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. The next time, you know, instead of saying goat blood, you'll say rabbit blood because that's a thing. Right. And, right. And voila, we have a pattern. Yep. That also weakens the power of corroboration. If you can kind of point to the common source of those particular stories, you know, like the the details of an abduction experience and the L-shaped tool or, you know, whatever it is that the detail that someone's sharing and you go, oh, my goodness, someone else said that. You have to wonder, well, did they have any exposure to that? Did you suggest it? Yeah. And that this does not at all imply that they have to be lying. They could just 
it's so easy to give people details that then they we we shuffle right into our memories without even realizing we're doing it. Yeah, and I, and I see this can get used both ways too because when when stories align, apologists thinking of say the New Testament uh, will say, "You look at these synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They agree on these particular." Uh, details so that tells you something and then when you point out the areas where they disagree like about the number of women who were there and you witnessed uh, his resurrected form they'll say oh well if they all agreed you'd have to be suspicious so you know it's actually it's evidence for the account that they slightly differ what do you do with that right (laughs) right yeah both of them are used as uh, buttressing forms of evidence the same enough to feel confirming and they're dissimilar enough to feel honest. Yeah, but when but whenever they do agree, they don't say, well, that's suspicious. They just right. Say, See, they agree because they were all there. Right. You, uh, that's tough. My brain's already coming up with counterexamples from the secular world where mm. you have to sort of do similar arithmetic. But it's like, but you know, yeah. heads I win, tails you lose. Yeah, so none of this immediately qualifies or disqualifies any particular claim, but it's something to keep in mind. Yeah. No story is so ridiculous you shouldn't believe it, but every <laughs> every story that seems unlikely you should check. Yeah. Trust but verify. Yeah. Well, so should we believe Bob? What do uh, you think? Should we believe Bob? Yeah. Well, that's interesting because Bob so far has been presenting a lot of other people's stories. Mm-hmm. So the question is, do we believe that Bob somehow has like an extraordinary ability to sniff out what is true from what is fiction? I don't mm. believe any of that. Okay. Yeah, I really don't know whether, again, I probably will never know with most of these people whether Bob is intentionally lying. Mm. But you don't have to get to intentional lying to still be spreading untruths. Yeah, and because he mentions these accounts having come from his radio show, I tend to trust that if we found the original show, that this would be borne out, that he wouldn't be so bold as to make up details that were not on the broadcast. I have thought about that myself. Um, I tried looking for original tapes, pretty tough, but in 1993, World Magazine published an expose about Bob. Mm. It's hard to dig up, but I done digged it up, Ross. Ooh, Cornerstone, Um, why were you letting World Magazine... Get on your I beat. know. I thought the same thing. Um, <laughs> so this this expose was about Bob, and it was by Jay Greelin and Doug LeBlanc. I've reached out to both of them. I haven't found Doug, but I did connect with Jay, who's still very proud of his work on this story in 1993. Was so cool. happy I contacted him. Um, so Jay and Doug at the time found a few past employees and collaborators of Bob's, and you know tried to sort of fact check some of this mm-hmm. and some of the. These past employees said, oh, yeah, I mean, I wrote some of the stories in his newsletters that were supposedly attributed to callers. Like, I straight up wrote them for him. Oh, this is like penthouse forum stuff. What do you mean? In Penthouse Magazine, people would write in these stories of these amazing sex experiences they had, and everybody yeah. everybody just knew that these are invented stories, you know, that were probably written by staff members most of the time. It's just like a well-known thing of obviously concocted stories that are not real people writing in with real stories. Carrie, what does that look? I knew about the letters, but... <laughs> I never thought about how they weren't real. <laughs> okay. It's like, it's one of those things like WWE oh. or something that everybody's like, oh, okay, well, oh. we know what that is. 
It's kayfabe. I'm sorry. I hope I didn't ruin any good sexual uh, enjoyment for you. (laughs) Oh, I'm never having sex again. Oh, sorry, Drew. (laughs) I was saving myself for marriage anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So while Jay and Doug were on this story, they also talked to some former employees who just had like awful things to say about this working environment, working for Bob. They really detailed this very like hostile environment. There was one police officer as well who had been in one of Bob's videos about Satanism. And when Jay and Doug called, that police officer was like, no, 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 I recant my contributions. Please don't print my name. I want nothing to do with this. They still still printed his name. (gasps) So he was a police officer, but he did not stand by his testimony. Correct. Wow. Okay. One former employee who was being called by these reporters, she said, oh, yeah, when I worked for Bob and I worked for the radio show, people would call in really at the end of the rope. Some of them would literally have a gun to their head. And I was instructed that if they weren't willing to give a donation, I needed to get them off the line and open it back up within five minutes. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. This is awful. Yep. Another said there was, this is kind of unsurprising, but one employee said there was a culture of fear in Bob's followers that they just seemed to think there were demons everywhere. And, you know, their sort of paranoia was growing as this ministry was growing. That's weird. How would you get that impression that there were demons everywhere (laughs) from this ministry? From this ministry? Weird. (laughs) And also in this book, I didn't mention this earlier, but there's a part in this book where Bob is talking about a perceived connection between drug use and Satanism. Mm -hmm. And particularly, he's singling out some non-white groups and doing this. From there, he starts to talk about the AIDS pandemic and and how that has affected the black community. So as he's going on about that, he tells the story of going to a Harlem hospital that has a, a part of the hospital that's for taking care of children who were born with AIDS, or at least were born with HIV and now are suffering with AIDS. And he has this passing anecdote about like going to this hospital and an infant like drawing her last breath and dying in front of him. And oh man, I'm tr- I'm trying to think of what would put Bob in a Harlem hospital, but okay. Well, so he did go. So Jay and Doug found the woman who gave him the tour, and they were like, "Did a child die in front of him?" And she was completely insulted. Was like, <sighs> "No, that's a medical emergency. I wouldn't just be giving a tour <laughs> and have like- on your right. There's a child dying." <laughs> Right. Like that would be. Yeah. uh, Gross negligence. Exactly. That would be incredibly (laughs) negligent of me. And I would certainly remember it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's how the cookie crumbles. Yeah. But this all comes to a head in the person of Lori Bershflug. Uh, And Lori Bershflug was a sort of second in command to Bob in the early 90s. And she had a lot to say to to Doug and to Jay. And the things she had to say about working for Bob were so wild (laughs) that I was like, I need to find her. I need to talk to her myself. Wow. Okay. And and I will tell you about that after this Jumbotron. (laughs) Wow, that might be the best Jumbotron cliffhanger ever. (laughs) 
And this first Jumbotron, flip, 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 flipping through my demonic possession manual, mm-hmm. I'm a demon, is for Justin. And it is from Matthew, Daniel, and Patrick. This Justin. <laughs> uh, Thank I'm you. Sure he's heard that a lot. And all three of them, Matthew, Daniel, and Patrick, say in unison, to, to Justin, Justin and his, and sassy, his sassy kitties, kitties Merry late, late Christmas, and it and was, it was a, a green turtle, turtle from, from your, your bros. bros. I don't understand that at all. I assume that makes sense to Justin. <laughs> I hope so, and to his sassy kitties. Sorry we don't have a third person to say your lines, Patrick, but we did the best we could. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a second. I see mm-hmm. another Jumbotron. Oh, in your uh, Ritual Romanum over there? Yeah, hold on. Let me flip open to it. It looks like it's for Jasmine and Riley. Ooh. And it's from, uh, here, take that a look. That must be from Heather. You're right. Yep. You got it. It's from Heather. I knew it. I knew that girl. She is a riot. So let's see what she said. She says, this may take a while to get to you. So congratulations on your engagement, Mercrimis. Yep. Happy New Year, and Riley, happy birthday. Me and Chris miss you so much and look forward to a time in 2021 when we can finally see you in person again. Thank you guys for introducing me to what became my favorite podcast back in 2018. Aww. Aww. Love you and stay healthy. I just realized Mercrimis is Merry Christmas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know why I realized it? Because, because it said it in were... the bottom. Oh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> now I see that, but nope. Because elsewhere in their note, they wrote, me and Chris miss you so much. And I was like, haha, that sounds like Christmas. Ah. And then my brain said, wait a minute, something else sounded kind of like Christmas. Anyway. Carrie gets it. Congratulations, <laughs> Jasmine and Riley. <laughs> Fantastic. You guys seem cool. While we're here, can Mm. I tell you about Quip, Carrie? Oh my God, I'd love that. The toothbrush company? Okay. Well, Mm. you know know them for toothbrushes. You know them Mm -hmm. for floss. Of course. But did you know- They gave me their floss thing for Christmas. Christmas. Merry Flossmas. And it's really good. But did you know they also have gum? Whoa. I mean, I figured they had gums because it's run by a pack of human beings. Yeah, right. But I didn't know they had gum. That's a good distinction to make because when you're caring for your teeth, you also should be caring for your gums, the soft tissue surrounding your teeth. But gum is also the thing that you chew, and it can help with your oral care as well. Yeah, it is, right? They shouldn't call it that. We should rename that. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should call it like Chewy Bits. That's much better. (laughs) (laughs) Chewy Bits. Also, I'd like to thank the good folks at Quip for the following ad copy that I get to read right now, colon, gum is something people chew. (laughs) (laughs) But there's more. They chew it as a way to relieve stress, to curb appetites, and most importantly, freshen breath. But many people don't realize that gum can also be part of a healthy oral care routine. That's right. And that's why Quip has launched a new chewy bit that's actually good for your oral health and comes with a dispenser that'll remind you of the one-click candy 
you loved as a kid. And I think you know what we mean, but we're oh, not yeah. going to say it. Does that mean I'm not supposed to say the name of that thing? Well. I, I think that's right. Okay. Well, that thing that you clicked as a kid, uh, you might have collected a bunch of them with different cartoon character heads on them. And it was really fun. Yeah, you did. I don't know. Using the adult version here, because sure enough, you have refills that, that you can order with this that you load up in a stack into this cartridge that uh, dispenses your gum. So hopefully your imaginations have filled in the gaps and you understand what we're talking about. I'm looking at it. You're holding it up to the screen for me because we're Mm -hmm. distance recording. And that seems like it could have a second use. Oh, okay. Carrie's got other (laughs) thoughts in her mind of where she could put this. I'll let you all look it up online. I don't want to say too much. We're really using everybody's imagination here. You know, it's about... (laughs) It's the size of a very large lighter or maybe like an inhaler, but this has gum inside it. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it has chewy bits. Chewy bits. That's right. And they're sugar-free. Whoa. They have tooth-friendly xylitol and zero calories. It may be sugar-free, but it's sweet. It's good. Right, because of the xylitol. Okay, excellent. And to satisfy your taste buds, Quip added a long-lasting mint flavor and a crunchy tri-layer design. It's not a substitute for brushing and flossing, but it is a great support for your oral health. Pair it with a Quip electric toothbrush and refillable floss. Oh my goodness, great chewy bits. So if you go to getquip.com slash ohno, O-H-N-O, right now you can get a free plastic dispenser with any refill plan. That's a free dispenser at getquip.com slash ohno, spelled G-E-T, Q-U-I-P dot com slash O-H-N-O. Quip, the good habits company. Chewy birds. All right, that's going to catch on. Boy, now that I've thought of this whole thing, that we need to raise awareness about the new term chewy bits. Yes. Um, I'm thinking that I should probably build a website to get the word out. Okay. But I've never actually built my own website and I'm like, I don't know if I'm professional enough to handle it. Carrie, Carrie. Um, yeah. Th- this is easy, easy peasy. Really? Yeah, you could buy chewybits.ai, chewybits.com, <laughs> chewybits.horse and Chewy. build bits? Uh, I want to put it past you or the internet. You know where you could do this? Take your dream, which is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. You could make it a reality with Squarespace. Oh, that's the perfect idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that idea. You know, they let you create a beautiful website to blog or publish your content to promote your physical or online business. They sure do. To announce an upcoming event or special project and more. And by more, I mean raise awareness about the new term, Chewy Bits. And you don't have to be a tech genius. You don't need to know advanced design because there's beautiful templates created by world-class designers. There's powerful e-commerce functionality. There's a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. And there's 24-7 award-winning customer support. That's right. They've won themselves a whole bunch of Stevies. Holy moly. You know what It just occurred to me? We've been saying this for years now, 24-7 award-winning customer support. But I wonder if they're winning awards 24 hours of the day, but the customer support is only open every once in a while. I didn't think of that because that's ridiculous, but you do make a good point on the sentence structure there. (laughs) 
I think they're winning awards at all times. And that's why you should check out squarespace.com slash oh no for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, you can use the offer code ohno, O-H-N-O, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. If it doesn't say chewy bits, it's not the real thing. I love the mental image of them trying to answer support calls and just having such a hard time weeding through all of the award nominations and notifications. It's just so many awards all the time. It's getting too much. Honestly, stop giving Squarespace awards. You're gunking up their system. Exactly. You're gumming up the works, or rather you're chewy bitsing you're up, chewy- the, <laughs> up the works. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Get it. Well, that's enough about Chewy Bits and websites. Uh, Tell me more about Satanic Murder. (laughs) I certainly will. Well, before we get to my conversation with Lori Bursflug, should we take the Satanic Demonology quiz on Bob's website? Yes, we should. This is one that you can all take along with us. And it was recommended at the end of our warrior level training in the video. It said, test yourself now at demontest.org, Bob's site that he's had for a long time that uh, he uses as a way for you to take a simple 21-question quiz and find out whether you are likely to have demons or not. Hey, and I took it once before. Yeah, you did. And you said that you had to pay money to do it? I believe it was 10 bucks at the time. I think it's free now. Hey. But I remember taking it and printing out my results because it said I probably did have a demon. Oh, wow. And I brought it to one of Bob's seminars and showed him. It was as he was leaving the pulpit. He was definitely on his way out. And I said something like, should I be worried? This is what I got in my printout. And he said, oh, I wouldn't worry about that. Wow. Yeah, I thought that was weird. Yeah, I I have to wonder if he was just so exhausted after giving his talk and ready to be done for the night. He didn't want to start a conversation. Or maybe he picked up some vibe from you. I think some combination thereof. I'm reading another satanic book by Bob, I'll tell you about (laughs) later. And in that one, he says something about how people who are confident and seem self-assured are less likely to have demons. So maybe he read that vibe Look how self-assured and confident this young woman is. Clearly, she doesn't she have demons. Possibly have a demon. Okay, shall we do it? Okay, let's do it. You have to register and create a login for the site. Oh, good. It remembers. I am currently logged in as Ross Blotcher. Okay. I'm currently logged in as Carrie Poppy. It says on the homepage here, of course, this is from the Spiritual Freedom Church and our friend Bob Larson. And it says, Dear friend, thank you for taking time to take the demon test. Register trademark. This may be the most important spiritual decision you make. Based on 40 years of research and thousands of hours in personal ministry, this test is designed to quickly determine an individual's spiritual needs. Okay. Then it tells you how essentially you can follow up with all of these other services that Bob offers. You can do one-on-one exorcisms with him, even over Zoom or Skype or FaceTime or Duo. What's Duo? Duolingo? Yeah, that would be amazing if, like, somehow through Duolingo, uh, Bob Bob was uh, performing exorcism. There's an owl inside you. Or Google Hangouts. Hey, Bob is multimodal. He'll take whatever you can handle. Or you can connect with his Do What Jesus Did registered trademark inner healing and deliverance teams located in more than 100 cities worldwide. So, yeah, lots of ways to follow up after you find out you have demons. So don't worry. He's not going to leave you in the lurch. Okay. You ready? 
Okay, yes. Take the demon test here. Let's do it. 21 demon test questions. Do you have a demon? Take this short quiz to find out if you are at risk. And then it gives uh, three possible answers to each question. Never in my past and currently. And there's an explanation here. Never means this has never been a serious problem to you. Okay. okay. So maybe it happened once or twice, but not a continuous Let thing. me just say, I'm glad he's explaining these options. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate this. In my past refers to things that you previously did, but no longer do. So sounds like habitual. Okay. Uh, and currently indicates something that is an issue in your life now. Okay. All right. Number one. Do you sometimes exhibit uncontrollable outbursts of anger or violence? Uh, are we answering these out loud? I feel like I won't want to answer all of them out loud. So. Oh, okay. I was going to, but I haven't actually pre-read all of them. Oh, yeah. I can see where it gets a little sticky here. We'll read them and we'll answer them, but we won't necessarily read them aloud. Okay. Uh, number two. Have you experimented with two or more forms of the occult? Ross, I don't want to know your answer. These are personal. Okay. <laughs> number three. Have you been sexually violated, raped, incested or molested oh boy boy heavy thing to drop on people coming to this website yeah the defaults by the way are never for all of these and then you have to change it to in my past or currently uh number four do you sometimes manifest behavior not consistent with your normal personality Hmm. okay uh number five do you abuse alcohol or drugs to escape painful past experiences in life okay Number six, do you commit immoral or illegal acts contrary to your customary values? And again, we're talking about patterns here. Mm. Oh, right. Yeah. Because I was ever. Because one immediately thinks of examples of that. Yeah. Good, good clarification. Number seven, have you ever attempted or contemplated suicide? Okay. Heavy. Uh, number eight, are you sometimes overwhelmed with feelings of severe, severe depression and hopelessness? Uh, number nine, do you indulge in self-abusive behavior such as anorexia, bulimia, cutting, or self-mutilation? Wow, yeah, this gets heavy really quickly. Yeah. Uh, number 10, have you experienced life-changing trauma from which you have not recovered? Okay. Uh, number 11, do you know of ancestors who committed murder, suicide, or sexual perversion? <laughs> Do I know of? Interesting. It's. I also don't know how to separate this from currently and in the past if they're ancestors. <laughs> yeah, I am currently possessing. Yeah. I'm going to interpret in the past to mean they are dead now and currently to mean they're living now. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, number 12. Do voices tell you to commit illegal acts, blaspheme God, or indulge in immoral acts? Okay. Yikes. Bob, okay. Do voices tell you? Okay, number 13. Have you asked Satan to take your life in exchange for something? Wow. I, I love the thought of the person who comes to this website, not sure if they're a danger of a demon and gets to number 13 and is like, oh, well, yeah. There was that time I promised my eternal soul to Satan for a bicycle. I didn't know that was a problem. <laughs> Are you saying that could be a sign of uh, demonic influence? Uh, number 14, do you live a fear-based life resulting in paranoia or multiple phobias? Okay. Number 15, have you experienced emotional or physical abuse from your biological parents? Uh, 16, have you been emotionally or physically abandoned by either biological parents? Okay. 
Ah, interesting. Number 17, have you felt repeated disabling episodes of rejection or depression? Number 18, have you failed repeatedly in significant relationships? Number 19, have you failed to experience trust and lasting love from a significant other? Uh, Number 20, do you consistently experience serious health or financial issues? Hmm. And number 21, are you significantly hindered in prayer, worship, Bible reading, and church attendance? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, uh... (laughs) Okay. <laughs> All right, submit. Yeah, boy, this is not this is not a fun quiz. No, it's not. By the way, there's a disclaimer here. This test is not intended to be a comprehensive analysis of all factors influencing the spiritual and psychological causes leading to demonic oppression slash possession. It is not conclusive, but rather can serve as a guide regarding whether or not demonic harassment is a possible consideration in cases of emotional and spiritual debilitation. Those who are evaluated as moderate or high risk should seek therapeutic and theological counsel. The test results are not considered to be a scientific analysis, but rather... <laughs> I knew that. Rather, broadly determined gauge of potential demonic activity. The risk increases if the person taking the test has previously received no inner healing, counseling, or deliverance for their issues. Okay, submitting. Submit. Uh, okay, it gives a number. Interesting. Yeah, my score is 23. What's yours? Oh, shit. Minus six. Oh, no. You are at low risk for demonic oppression slash possession. I am at moderate risk for demonic oppression or possession. Okay. I, I feel like, I don't know, there were there were certain questions where I kind of waffled on, oh, do I, do I put this? I don't know. Am I overblowing one particular thing? Like, I feel like I could have bumped it up a, a few points there with some things. But yeah, most of my responses were never. I've lived a pretty charmed life. I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, I feel like, um, and I include myself in this, but I do feel like this is sort of an in- inverted privilege test. It, that's, yes, I was thinking that. Like, this is a great exercise where you have people kind of line up and you say, uh, if your parents are still married, Mm-hmm. Take one step forward. If you've never had to think about coming out about your sexuality. If you've never worried about where your next meal is going to come from, take a big right. step forward. You know, and then you go through all these questions and then you say, okay, now race. <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> right. Whoever gets to the finish line, oh, you won. Hey, good job. Well, a lot of people had a real head start. Right. Yeah. No, it's totally that kind of test. Uh, now. Yeah. I will say at least normally you're not doing this around other people and comparing your answers versus theirs. But sure. Yes. But we have a podcast. <laughs> That's right. So we get to be <laughs> vulnerable here. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So mine says your test score is 23. You are at moderate risk for demonic oppression slash possession. And then it explains how they scored it. Mm. Responses are evaluated as follows. Items marked never have no value. Items marked past are scored as one point, currently as two points. Crucial questions, which are one through seven, add one additional point to the final score. Mm. Interesting. Oh, okay. Then it tries to get me to buy a bunch of his books. Yeah, mine says uh, that same explanation of the scoring. And then it says, congratulations and thank you for responding to this life-changing test. Is your life changed? I guess in that 
I'm older than I was when I started taking it. Is your life changed never in the past or currently? <laughs> uh, it says, we have recommended specific resources for each question so that you may benefit from our years of experience. Evil is successful when we don't have the proper information to spiritually defend ourselves. Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The books and videos we offer will better educate and equip you to wage spiritual war against the enemy of your soul. And then the following four resources are recommended to all test participants because they address every area of each individual's emotional wounding, spiritual vulnerability, and potential demonization. My mind's kind of returning back to the test itself. I feel like I could so easily imagine other people having way more salient examples of any one of those questions where I was kind of waffling Mm -hmm, and that kind of pushed me towards the, eh, I really have nothing to complain about here. Like my parents divorced when I was young, you know, I was Mm -hmm. nine or 10 and it certainly affected me, but my dad was still a presence in my life. I saw him on Sundays. I have a great relationship with him now. So, you know, I, I, I didn't feel abandoned, even though maybe if you'd asked me at the time, I don't know. So that was one where I was like, do I say in the past? I don't know. Is that fair? Yeah. 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 I think I only had one and now I can't remember which. I think I only had one that I gave a currently. Mm, mm-hmm. Oh, I think it was the one about um, physical problems. Oh, right. We all know about Carrie's gosh darn migraines. Right. That's one where I said, oh, sure, I could complain about a couple of things, but I don't have regular migraines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say this next to Carrie. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Uh, okay. So the resources are, do you have a demon? A seven hour downloadable video teaching oh, that's series. okay. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> uh, a... I don't want my computer to sit there downloading that for an hour and a half. (laughs) But wait, Carrie, owning this series is a must after taking this test. Oh, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm doing it then. Another resource is, can a Christian have a demon? Another downloadable video that explodes the myth that Christians are automatically protected by the sins of their ancestors. Larson's Book of Spiritual Warfare. Got it. Larson's book of world religions and alternative spirituality. I definitely got it. Maybe that's the one I have. I might not have the spiritual warfare one. Oh, no. I got them both. They're right here. Ah, oh, thank God. You would think there would be a reference to one of these Satanism books. They're awfully applicable to our purposes here. Yeah, well, I'm sure if you buy those essential books, then they'll tell you that you need to buy all the other books. Maybe, but I have a feeling he is downplaying the Satanism books at this point because a lot of this stuff is just so blown out of the water at this point. Oh, and this is interesting. For any question that you did give a positive response to that he has specific recommendations i'm recommended the six entries of evil and what you need to know about demons and the devil and how christians are affected by curses and five facts to overcome curses so there you go lots for me to read and do but speaking of reading and the satanism book may i tell you about my conversation with bob's former employee Lori burschlug oh yes please well uh listener if you took the demon test along with us we hope you did well and don't have demons yes and side note you don't i mean you don't you probably don't you don't I mean, you don't unless demons exist, first of all. (laughs) And that's like a less than 1% chance. This is silly, but kind of related. I was recently 
having a deep conversation with my mom. That's a whole long story. But she asked me if I thought she was going to heaven. She really wanted to know this. And I said, well, no, I don't believe in heaven. And I said this, but she she got so distraught and she was so upset. Okay, I'll open up more. This is because she voted for Trump. And I was telling her mm. what I thought about that. <laughs> no yeah. uncertain terms. And so finally... She said, you know, it really upsets me that you think I'm not going to heaven. And I said, well, I don't think anybody's going to heaven. You don't think I'm going to heaven? I don't believe in heaven. Like, I'd already made this point multiple times, but I had to yeah. really spell it out for her. And she wanted to know that I wasn't singling her out for an admission to heaven. <laughs> she wanted to know that I was singling. The way she had. Right. And then she was like, oh, okay, that makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> oh, man. My own mom. Ah, uh, well, gotta love her. All right. Well, families are unique. I will tell you now about Lori Bershflug. So you found her. Oh, my God. Yes, I did. And boy, it took a lot. It, it wasn't easy. Took... So don't think you can just go look her up in the yellow pages, people. No. White pages. Is that uh, how that works? Yeah, people are in the white pages. Businesses yes, are in the yellow businesses pages. businesses in the yellow pages. Should those things exist, which who knows? She has changed her name, but I'm still going to call her Burst Flug here. But yeah, finding her was, was quite an ordeal, but I did. And she's a lovely woman. I've been in touch with her since multiple times a day. And she worked for Bob from 1990 to 1993. She said she hasn't taken an interview about the Bob situation in years because uh, talking about him, she feels is so traumatizing. Wow. So, yeah. So at the time, you know, I'm saying, okay, that's okay. If you don't want to talk about it, that's all absolutely all right. Is this something you want to talk about again? And she said, she said, yes. She actually listened to our show and liked it. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. She said that in the past, this is her summary of uh, what happened, but she said that he had sued people into a position where they felt like they couldn't talk and uh, she had tried to speak out, but that hadn't gone so well. And so she just for a long time was like, I'm not going to handle this. But now that the culture has changed a bit and um, we're more welcoming of women telling their stories mm -hmm. and offering them up for, you know, giving it more attention and documentation and things that she felt a little more comfortable doing that just to let the listeners know, I did ask her if she was willing to do an interview. At this point, she's not, but um, maybe that'll change. Maybe not. Okay. Uh, either way is okay. Um, so we were we were on the phone for about an hour this this first time talking. This was a few weeks ago. So, boy, a lot came out of this call. So I'm just going to go through my notes and tell you about it. Okay. So she told me how she first ended up working for Bob. She said uh, she was out of work. It was 1990. She really needed a job. And she said, I was smart, but unfortunately, I was also pretty. I hate that that has to be an unfortunate thing. I know, right? So she gets an interview at this ministry and she's thinking, oh, okay, good. I got lucky because she's a Christian. She thinks, oh, this is going to be a safe place to work. Mm -hmm. You know, she's this pretty young woman coming out of the 80s. She's had a lot of experiences she doesn't care to repeat. So she gets there and there's this big cross on the wall and she's like, okay, like maybe this is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And as she's recalling this, she said, oh, but Carrie, it was toxic very near the beginning of our conversation, she said, he calls himself a Christian, but he's as Christian as a can of applesauce. Those are notoriously not very Christian. <laughs> I loved that phrase. Yeah, as a can of applesauce. <laughs> she said that she never once heard him talk about the Bible or God to her or the rest of the staff 
except when he was on the air. I'm really going to have to revisit my my assessment of Bob as sincere. Right? Wow. And then I asked, well, did he go to church? And she said, oh, no, I never saw him go to church or reference going to a church. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. He doesn't really hold Sunday services, does he? Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, not that I know of. At his spiritual freedom church, but I'm not going to say he's lazy in his activities. Sure. She said it was evident right away that he was this... Uh, these are her words, self-important, arrogant troll. Uh, and later on, she called him a cult leader. She was glad we're on this story. And she said, but you will never totally unravel the tapestry of his deceit. Oh, my goodness. These are these are harsh, condemnatory words. <laughs> yeah, felt strong. So so within three months of uh, being hired there, she was his right-hand woman. She says he realized pretty quickly that she could write well, and he was in the middle of writing his book, Dead Air. So he had her look at the book. She told him, oh, there's quite a few writing issues with this oh. book, gave him some <laughs> sub- some suggestions, and good for her. She had kept a lot of her documentation. She emailed me like photocopies of like the notes she made for him and said, these are the changes I think you should make. Then he was basically like, oh, you're an amazing writer. Why don't you write the book? We still put my name on it. <laughs> and I'll get the credit um, for it. No, <laughs> Doesn't no, that sound fun? No co-author credit or anything like that. Right. I don't know how explicit it was from the beginning, but later on, that will come to a more specific head, which I'll tell you about. Okay. So he has her basically writing his book, Dead Air, for him. He says that that book is based on true events. I have a copy of it in the back. It says, you know, it's based on true events, though I've changed the names of the people. Is there any kind of special thanks that she mentioned anywhere? Oh, good question. I think she is mentioned as like, yeah, in like a thanks portion. That's something. Not positive. Yeah. But so he says it's based on true events. And the main character of this book is a Christian radio talk show host who helps someone who has been the victim of satanic abuse. That doesn't sound Um, like Bob. (laughs) So, yeah, I asked Lori about this and I said, oh, do you know, is any of that? true any of that come from a real place and she said well i know it isn't because it came out of my brain it was (laughs) my invention completely wow so at one point bob's lawyer sent a fax to bob because of course this is the early 90s sent a fax that came to the office while bob was on the air so Lori happened to grab the fax out of the fax machine and the lawyer had said I'm really concerned about how involved Lori is in the writing of your book. She's basically a co-author at least now. Oh, wow. And, she, and she's she ha- seeing this fact. She's reading this. And she she may have some like legal claim over this book now. Oh, yeah. So Lori made a copy of that letter. Kept it all oh, these years. Good for her. Oh, uh, okay. I'm I'm seeing the acknowledgments in the book now. Oh, okay. Do you see Lori? Yeah, I've never written fiction before and couldn't have done it alone. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> My thanks to Margot Hamilton, who through her selfless work with victims of ritual abuse, alerted me to the mothers and children escaping the horrors of occult crime. Lori Bursflug, who lent her literary talents and intuitive insights to make the scenes and characters come alive. And Janet Toma, who prodded me to rewrite and rewrite again, compelling me to excellence when I might have accepted adequate. Most of all, I salute those courageous women who have dared to come out of hiding and tell me their stories of abuse at the hands of secretive cults. All women in the thanks. Interesting. Okay. So in Lori's telling, she really thought that she and Bob were just 
colleagues, though, you know, he kind of, it sounds like he kind of gave her a grody vibe, but hadn't hadn't done anything that overtly suggested they were more than uh, co-workers. But as time went on, it became obvious that he wanted her to date him and um, and he was married. So she is okay. avoiding this completely, you know, this is her boss. Uh, she likes her job enough to stay and she just doesn't want any part of this. Yeah. Then eventually he realized that she was dating someone else and I'm not sure if she'd actually become engaged to this someone else at that point, but eventually she would become engaged to him. And if anybody else had done the exact same thing, he would be suspecting demonic influence. <laughs> Yep, that's right. And so she says he began effectively stalking her. Again, this is her recounting of the events. Hmm. Now, stalking has like a specific legal definition. I have no idea if his behavior met it, mm-hmm. um, but that was how she felt about it. Wow. So, so one one anecdote she told me is that she says he he showed up at her daughter's recital and fired her in front of the 400 plus people like in her community the parents of other school kids um like singled her out during the intermission called her a whore oh my goodness yelled at her that she should want Bob. to be his wife <laughs> um <laughs> okay <laughs> these are wow um hmm. well you just you just burned that bridge <laughs> unlikely to happen and and then and fired her so you know she says again this is her telling the story she says uh like that's fine (laughs) uh but you know makes a couple requests things that she wants before she'll go she wants her company car to belong to her she wants like a certain amount of severance she has kids she wants you know them protected so he agrees to some of this. She goes back to the office to pack up her stuff, and she says he was sitting there in the dark, like ominously watching her Ugh. when she came in. When Ugh. all the lights were off, he was just in there. And she turned on her lights and he scurried away? <laughs> I don't know. She didn't tell me that detail. Now, here's a part where I have to wonder what exactly was happening. She said she felt he was monitoring her for years even driving by her house. And and I admit, when she said that, I thought, I wonder if that's true. That might be true. It also could be like, this is also a thing that happens when someone treats you horribly, then they get to live in your brain for mm. a very long time. Mm-hmm. Either way, this, this sounds horrifying. Yeah. So about the time of her firing, she says people had started to doubt Bob's authorship of Dead Air. Oh. And she says she wrote almost all of it, not all of it, but most okay. of it. Um, she also says she wrote a great deal of a sequel, which is called Abaddon. So, yeah, that was about the timing of her firing. She mentioned that she had also hired Bob's now wife, Laura. Okay. Because Laura was not his wife at the time? Correct. Hmm. Correct. So she hired Laura. That's how they met. She has no idea if this is a coincidence, and it might be, but she noted that Laura sounds quite a bit like Lori. And Bob's daughter's names are kind of similar to the names of Lori's daughters. Oh. They were all born much later. Wow. Yeah. I don't want to spell that out too much here uh, for her daughter's privacy. But sure. It, but I maybe he was saying. still carrying a torch and had. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Could be a coincidence. So, yeah. She also said um, that one of her biggest shames in life is something that she did. While working for Bob, she said that she would go to group events and pretend to be an attendee and then listen in on people's conversations 
and then tell Bob the details of them so he could give them special messages that seemed like they were from God. Oh, hot reading. Yeah, much like Peter Popoff. Yeah. Oh, my um, goodness. So she was his uh, accomplice, his yeah. plant. So she says, yeah. And she she eventually saw the movie Leap of Faith, which is- um, Oh, Yeah. Which is uh, actually largely based on a book by my former boss, James Randi. Right. That's Steve Martin's send up of faith healers. Yeah. And she said when she saw that, she was like, oh, well, good. At least someone knows about this racket. Like, (sighs) that's exactly what I did. (laughs) Wow. When I told her, I said, oh, you know what? That's largely based on a book by my old boss, James Randi. She said, I love James Randi. Oh, hey. (laughs) Here's an interesting side note. I noticed that in some materials, Bob refers to himself as Dr. Bob Larson, but it seems to have kind of disappeared from his bio. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I asked her if she had any insight into that, and she said, oh, mm -hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I ordered that for him from the mail order college. Um, I placed the order for him, and I would place the renewals for him. I just had to send in a check every year. Oh, my goodness. Does she remember how much the check was? (laughs) She might have mentioned it was cheap, but she did say I, I tried to get her to she, to look through all her files and see if she could find the name of the college she couldn't find it okay wild oh my goodness but I would love to uh, talk to him about that uh, who did you say published mm. Satanism Thomas Nelson Inc oh okay Thomas Nelson publishers published dead air that was just two years later oh uh, okay uh, all right I'm gonna do a quick search for the phrase dr Bob Larson great oh even on Amazon. Uh, he's listed as the author, Dr. Bob Larson. Oh, wow. On the International School of Exorcism, it says the curriculum was developed by Dr. Bob Larson. Oh, wonderful. Please ba- take a screenshot. <laughs> based on his more than four decades of experience in healing and deliverance ministry. Wonderful. Take a screenshot of that. Uh, I shall. Yeah, there's a lot of to references to Dr. Bob Larson. Yep, yep. It's current. It's there. We will have given Bob the opportunity to respond to some of these claims and we'll we'll see what happens so when i had finished reading this book satanism which was a good week or two after my call with Lori, i sent her an email with just a number of the calls that were detailed in this book and said like do you remember this call do you remember this call i'm sorry if i sound like a broken record but i just (laughs) need to verify do you remember this call so she sent an email back and she said that bob would just laugh off all the stories on the radio and she said uh this is a direct quote she said It's all fake. By bringing up the McMartins, which I had mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. you hit it on the head. This was the time of shock and Satan, and anyone with the guts to play it out could have a ticket with Bob because it was all a carnival act. He was just in the right place at the right time, plain and simple, and all of us that were on the inside knew it. He never debunked the stories because it would mean people would look more closely at him for validity, of which Mm. there was none. Mm. Hollywood has been rocked for years with secret stories from insiders. There's never any proof, but people want to believe because it is more than their life. It gives them a cause or a connection. All you have to do is look at the current presidency (laughs) and see the house of cards no different than Bob. Wow. Wow, that's highly cynical. Mm-hmm. Uh, not 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 her, but uh, you know what she's describing. Mm-hmm. That not only does he not have the interest in investigating these stories, it is counter to his interests to try to look into them or verify them in any fashion. Right. So she says. Okay. Well. Well. Thank you to Lori. 
Right. For sharing. I'm sure I'm sure she could say even more. She could. Yeah. Our conversation was longer than that. There's only so much uh, there's only so much I can tell you about because there are, you know, additional personal details that I under uh, very understandably she doesn't want to share, but oh yeah. man, it, it is all very concerning. So Wow. I hope uh, we uh get to hear Bob's response. Okay. Yeah, well, thanks again to Lori for, for sharing all that, and good on you for, for finding her. Why, thank you. For driving outside of her house and <laughs> stalking her. <laughs> no, nope, Carrie did none nope, of that. That was not me. And also, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Lori, who apparently is a very good writer, um, mm. at least Bob seems to think so. Right. Uh, she has written a book called Stardust that I'm holding up to the oh. screen for you to see. Ooh, it's Ooh. very glossy. I see the Hollywood sign, which if it yeah. were daytime, I might see behind you because you're next oh, to your true. window. I got this on Amazon and you can too. Wow, that's and a big it's by book. by Lori Kay. Yeah, it is. It's a novel and it's 433. No. 444 pages of novel. I'm Bob Larson now. <laughs> is uh, is that a pen name? Uh, yes. I believe K might be her middle name or something, but yes, it's a pen okay. name. Okay. Yeah, so I haven't read it yet, uh, but it is her novel that she said w- is about a televangelist and um, oh. mirrors largely her experience. So if you want to support Lori's writing in a way that actually supports Lori, you can get Stardust by Lori K. Take that, Bob. Yeah, read this, Bob. I don't know. Maybe it's good. You can also find her book at bookshop.org slash shop slash oh no in our mentioned on the show category. And then you'll support Lori and independent booksellers and us. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. Sounds like a good book. So Satanism bad. Mm-hmm. Bob Larson also not so great. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. We'd love to talk to him and get his side of things. Well, I guess that's it for this episode. But we'll be back. There's more to say about Bob. We took more classes. We're going to tell you about him. That's right. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. Uh, You can support what we do, uh, these podcasts that we make, our investigations, uh, by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate or slash join. And we hugely appreciate all of you who contribute to the show and uh, and are part of these investigations. You can also follow us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Ono Podcast. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com forward slash onrack, O-N-R-A-C. But I'm never there because I really hate Facebook. I'm sometimes there. But Carrie's at Twitter. So uh, so you can yeah. find us at our respective social media presences. <laughs> also, tell a friend. Yeah, share the, share the show with other people. Say, you should really listen to part eight of this investigation. It's great. I know that sounds like a lot of podcasting, but it's worth it. <laughs> and remember. From Bob Larson's 1996 lecture, Satanic Century. However, they believe they're going to take over. They are preparing a shadow government and cabinet. They are marshalling their forces. And I want you to listen to me. Hear for a moment. Their song, what you are about to hear, is the voice of the founder of the Church of Satan himself, Anton LaVey. This is the hymn of the Satanic Empire. Rip the trammel. 
das Lied von der Satanischen Reich. Ja, ja, alala. I want to tell you what words you're going to hear in a moment. Satan is here to take his ground. There is an earth that's green. There's an earth that's free. There's a place for you and a place for me. But the bleeding hearts won't let it be. We don't need them anymore. Let the lions and the tigers rip them up. The arena shouts for Christian blood. Let them chew them up and spit them out. That's green. There's an earth that's free. There's a place for you and a place for me. I'm going first. It's me, Jackie Kasia. Man, she's always as bossy. Uh, <laughs> I'm Lori Kilbarton. Uh, we're a bunch of stand-up comics, and uh, we've been doing comedy like 60 years total with <laughs> both of us, but we look amazing. And, uh, out. We drop every Monday on Max Fun, and it's called The Jackie Lori Show, and you could listen to it and learn about comedy and learn about anger management and all the things. And Jackie is married but childless, and I'm unmarried but childful. So together, we make one complete woman. Is that just what that going to end? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we try to make Kyle laugh just like that and say, oh, my God, every episode. It's a good job. Jackie and Lori Show, Mondays, only on Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.